Welcome back to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. If you're new here, feel free to listen to any one of our previous episodes. Our mission is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. We have, in the world we live in today, and every day this is true, okay? Um, We've been willing to admit that, because anybody who's been, had their eyes open at all, the world has continued to get worse. And we know, I've read the end of the book, um, that the world will continue to get worse until Jesus comes back. The solution to the problem is not for us to sit down and wait for Jesus to come back. Um, there's a whole lot of caution that we as Christians have to use. Um, it's odd that, do you guys remember back about, um, yeah, it was probably several months ago, quite a few months ago, when, when I had mentioned even from the pulpit that I felt like the Lord kept pushing me toward this false teacher stuff. And it seemed like every Sunday he had something about false teachers was in the message. Something about the message had false teachers in it. We're living in an era now where you can't trust what anybody says. Now, I want you to hear what I just said. You can't trust what anybody says. Anything that anybody says to you nowadays had better be validated. In other words, I mean, I remember when I was younger that when men used to buy things on a handshake... I remember when honor was something, when there was, you know, you, you had a, a neighbor, you trusted your neighbor first until your neighbor did something to cause you not to trust them anymore, right? It was trust unless I'm given a reason otherwise. Do you feel the same way today? Or is it, I don't trust you unless you give me a reason to believe it otherwise? This is where society's heading for us, folks. You literally cannot trust anybody because innately, born and bred into each and every individual is pure, hardcore selfishness. How many of you think everybody has an agenda? Every person on this planet has an agenda. You have an agenda. You do the things in your life in order to try to accomplish your agenda. How's that any different than a news program or a politician? How's that any different than even some doctors and healthcare workers? How's that any different from anybody? The fact is Christians are being called out by God to become more separate from the world. There should be no there should be no diagram at all that connects Christianity to what's going on in the world today. Now, either we ride in the car that dabbles in all this stuff, or we become individuals who realize who our God is, fully willing to admit that we've trusted him with our eternity, and the question is, are we at a point where we're going to trust him with our life? And I mean really trust him with our life. In order for this to happen... We have to come to understand a few things. And I know the first part of chapter two you guys have been in before. Um, so I won't spend too much time in it, but I do feel like I need to spend 
some time in it because it's very important. So First uh, John chapter 2, start with verse 1. I want you to notice the first thing, how John addresses the church. My little children. Now, it's important for us to understand when he used this phrase, my little children, he didn't use it as a derogatory term. I'm sure there were people that were going to receive this letter who were much older than John was at the time that this stuff happened. My little children. There's a few things that you can point out. Is it better for me to assume that you know everything or that you know nothing? Do you benefit more by me assuming that you know everything or by me assuming that you know nothing? What can you teach somebody who knows everything? You guys ever meet a five-year-old? Happen to have a grandson who's that age now. This this man will get a kick out of this because it is absolutely right down the line. <laughs> He's got this new phrase he likes to he likes to to, to use, and you can tell him something. He'd be as true as true can be, and he'll start his sentence off with, "Well, actually, <laughs> well, actually." You know what the word "well, actually"? You know what those two words actually are leading into? It's leading into a five-year-old telling a nearly 50-year-old that he knows better than I do. But children, I mean, if you lock them in a room with nothing but a bunch of outlets and butter knives, how long is it going to take for one to pick up a butter knife, stick it in an outlet? How long is it going to take? We assume that our kids know nothing. That's why they even get smart with us. Right? Because a lot of times we'll tell them. I, I asked Jameson this morning in the church. I was like, buddy, I forgot Bubby's uh, diaper bag over in the, in the nursery. You go get it. So he just kept playing. And I was like, hey, I, I just asked you to go get the diaper bag for me, please. So he starts walking down the aisle like it was in, it's in the chair over there. I know, Papa. I know. He's not using this as a derogatory term towards the people. What he's actually saying here is I have something to teach you, and I've accepted the responsibility of an adult in this situation to teach you more about who God is, what the relationship is about, and how that translates into the relationships with, the, with other people around us. Now, like I said last week, a lot of people think that church is about going to church, sitting in a pew, or sitting in a room opening up a Bible, reading a few verses, listen to a preacher talk for 35 or 40 minutes, and then walk out with the time card checked, everything's good. Christianity is life, folks. It's life. And in every one of these examples that we've been given in Scripture, the, even the parables that Jesus used, he used those because it was easier for us as individuals to grasp what it was that he was saying because we know that it's true based on the experiences of our own lives. How many of you guys ever had a kid tell you that they know better than you did? I think that's a universal truth. I think every parent, and if, you, if your kids are too young for you to hear it, it's, it's hilarious. Makes you want to beat them within an inch of their life, but it's hilarious. To have a five-year-old walk up to you and pretty much just say, you don't know what you're talking about, Papa. You need to ask me because I'll tell you what, what you need to know. 
John accepted the responsibility to every individual who had professed Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. As such, he accepted the responsibility to make sure they had the information they needed to be able to grow and to be what it is that God called each individual to be. He wasn't looking at them as children in the sense of he was putting them down. He was looking at them as as children in the sense that what do we as parents desire more than anything else for our kids? We want them to make good choices, right? We want them to be productive citizens, right? We want them to be honest, right? So we spend our lives, even in many cases, not sparing the rod because they've done something that we're trying to drive out of their lives. We've accepted the responsibility to do whatever it takes to make sure that every individual that reads this letter is going is to have not only access to it, but is going to understand that somebody who genuinely cares about their growth in Christ and genuinely cares about their eternity is the one that's addressing them. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. Very difficult line for people to walk. What do I mean by that? How many of you ever sinned on accident? Ever sinned on accident? Happens. It does. You don't realize that you don't realize it was wrong, and you don't realize really what the effect of it was until after it's over with. Every one of us have the capabilities of, of, of sinning. It doesn't matter how righteous somebody is. God demands righteousness. He demands holiness. This baloney with people claiming Christianity as long as it is benefiting them and then them believing that when they're apart from the church that they can act like the culture and the world, these things shouldn't happen. So what he's saying there is protecting really what grace is. Protecting what grace is. But with hidden within, a nugget within these two verses is responsibility. And the responsibility is clear. It's clear, I should say, if you know a little bit of Greek. Can somebody tell me, because we did this before, but it's been a while, and I want you guys to try to remember this stuff. What is the Greek word for advocate? Anybody? Parakletos. Sounds kind of like parakeet. Parakletos. Now, the word parakletos, the word advocate, if we do sin, the Father sent an advocate, right? The word advocate, translated in the Greek to parakletos, Definition is, one called alongside to help. Not one called alongside to do, okay? One who is called alongside to help. Now, there's a theological conundrum in here, and I I promise you that there are going to be some theologians who will hear what I just said and are going to split a brain, 
Because the problem is this. The truth is, salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. Okay, now I want you to follow me with this. Jesus Christ provides us with the righteousness that's required for us as individuals to meet that God has set before us. What is the standard by which God expects people to live for them to be able to go to heaven? What's the standard? It's perfection. Is everything that you do in your life bad? Of course not. Um, we have responsibility to do what we can. Granted, still with his help. All right? In other words, if I'm not going to be a Calvinist, then I've got to believe in free will. And I do believe in free will. I believe that people do have a choice, that nobody's destiny has been written in concrete, that God set everybody's life in motion. I do not believe God set everybody's life in motion and is making them go to hell and making them go to heaven based on his choice. I believe that people have the choice. They have the right to make the choice. They suffer the consequences of their choices. Period. So there's this. Do you need Jesus' help with everything? I want you to think about it and don't answer too quickly. Don't be super spiritual and think the answer to that is just yes. Do you need Jesus' help with everything? Do you? Do you need, do you need Jesus' help to keep you from telling a lie? Do you need that? Or do you know, as a Christian, this preset wiring inside of us is the lie already not going to happen if you're somebody who's a Christian? Look, folks, this is what I'm saying. You have the capabilities of being good in Christ. What's the standard? The required standard's perfection. How many of us are perfect? I'm going to be cautious saying this, and, and I can back this up with Scripture, folks. Works. Are they important? Yes. Does your salvation hinge on it? No. So here's the deal. One who's called alongside to help after 35 years of ministry and growing in Christ, there ought to be some maturity about me by now, right? It shouldn't be real easy for me to just run out and blow it big, should it? But even if I was only at fault in one part in my life, is that enough to make me fall short? I, I can stand up here and tell you and, and, and say before God that I'm not a bad dude, but I do make mistakes. So if the marker's here and it's perfection, and after 35 years of ministry, I even get this close, is it enough? I need one who's called alongside to help to push me over the bar, no matter where you're at. Now, how close to the bottom of the bar are people, are some people? Man, there's a whole lot of people that are like this far from the ground, right? Bar's still up here. Whether that person's a believer or not, that's, that's for God to sort out, all right? We're assuming that that person's a believer, all right? 
one who's called alongside to help. This guy's only made this much advancement in his life because he's only like a two-month-old Christian. Let's say he only makes it that far and dies. Pericletos, one who's called alongside to help. He may have needed more help than I did. And I may need more help than you do. In other words, folks, we have responsibility to do the right thing. And we don't need God to hit us upside the head with a brick to tell us what the right thing is in every case. Do we? I mean, do we really need God to hit us upside a brick, a head with a brick to tell us what's wrong? We don't need that. Most of what you can do, you can do where you're at in your relationship with Christ right now. But you're not going to be perfect. You're going to blow it. When you blow it, that's just another sign of you falling short. And it's just another guarantee that you need Jesus to come and lift you over the bar. Again, I'm pretty sure that if God meant one who was called along, uh, alongside to do, that he would have used the word that said that. But he didn't use that word. Parakletos, one who was called alongside to help. And how much do we really sit around and expect God to do it all? Honestly. Nothing wrong with praying for people to be saved. Please don't take this. Take that out of this. Nothing wrong with people both praying for people to be saved. But if that's all you do, is it enough? Is that enough? You see, we're getting into the free will part of this relationship. We're getting into the part of this relationship where we get to choose what we do or do not do. Are we as righteous as we can be? Is the large majority of the sins that we commit accidents? Is the large majority of sins that we commit the, the sin that after it's, it's done with and we didn't realize it, we go, oops, is that what most of our sins are made up of? Or are they willful decisions choosing to sin before we commit it? Which of the two is the majority? It is a willful act thought through in our minds, allowing the lust that is in our body to continue to imagine, and it pushes us to a place that we should not be. God's given us everything that we need in everything that the Bible talks about him equipping us. If God was actually completely replacing us, if he was expecting to be someone who was just going to do it all, then why did the fall of man even happen? Why did it even happen? Is our God too weak to create a world where he can push perfection on people? Or could he have done it that way if he wanted to? He could have done it that way if he wanted to. The truth is, you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. In everything that we do, we have a choice to make. And our choice will either glorify God through him being uh, exalted through the experience or us glorifying God by accepting the grace that he provided that keeps us from going to hell because of what we did. Don't confuse what I'm saying. I am not saying by any means that we have the ability to save ourselves. Again, doesn't matter how perfect you are. I've even told people before, it doesn't matter. If Jesus didn't come die on the cross for our sins, it wouldn't matter whether you trusted in him or not. What we're losing in the world today in the church is personal responsibility. 
Again, it shouldn't be a personal responsibility where you leave church feeling like a weight has been heaped upon your shoulders. You're going to drag a ball and chain around with you because pressures have been placed on you. That is not how it's supposed to happen under no circumstances. Grace provides us peace that passes all understanding. But we have to understand that Jesus came, suffered, he lived, suffered, and died for a purpose. And that purpose was for us as individuals to be able to carry out the mission of the church until such time as he returns. And people think the Bible's just chock full. They listen to preachers and preachers up there barking at them, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. You know what? The fact is, you do what Jesus tells you to. Don't do what a preacher tells you to do. Don't do what your wife tells you to do. Don't do what anybody under the sun tells you to do except Jesus. When I said that Jesus deserved to be on the pinnacle of the pyramid, he washes himself down on everything under it when he's at the top. Your marriage is blessed by him. Your children are blessed by him. Your relationships are blessed by him. The businesses you work in are blessed by him. The people that you cross paths with in in a day. He just affirms what I just said a little bit further by saying this in verse 2. And the life, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Propitiation. Satisfaction. He is the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He's the one that makes up where we fall short. But since we know that Jesus is making up for where we fall short, should we all be comfortable with falling short? No. Look at verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If there is is any better verse in the scriptures that can show somebody responsibility, let me know. Because this one's pretty straightforward. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Important to understand, there's a lot that's lost in translation on this particular book. Lost in, anytime you translate something from the Hebrew, the Greek, into English, or you translate it even from Spanish to English, there's always some things that are, are I mean, if, especially if it's a literal translation of the scripture, sometimes you just look at it and it seems kind of, kind of weird. By this we, have, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. By this we know that we have come to know him. He's not talking about somebody who has the ability to go out and, and follow the Ten Commandments. That's not what he's talking about. Because again, if you make it a list, it becomes work. If it's a list that you have to live by, then it's actually something that's binding you, not something that's freeing you. So he's not talking about here about us keeping his commandments as in the law. He's talking about here us being individuals who have a desire to keep his commandments. In other words, we wake up in the morning, we don't intend 
to go out and sin. We wake up in the morning with all of the hope and prayer that God's going to lead us through our day, that he's going to protect us through our temptations, that he's going to continue to advise us with instruction. If we wake up in the morning as individuals who want to do what's right, period. That's affirmation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And something that I noticed, which is kind of interesting, all these years in ministry, when people get stuck in ruts where they do not keep his commandments, coincidentally, if someone does not keep his commandments, is life better or worse? It's worse. If you do not keep his commandments and you're somebody who's a believer, you should be miserable. If you're not miserable, I would question your salvation. Because there's more to this church thing, and it's going to get harder, folks. It's, I, think that, I think that COVID is the first big thing. Let me ask you a serious question. How many of you guys believe that life's ever going to get back to what we used to know as normal? Anybody? World's changing. It's changing quick. It's going to be hard for the church not to get caught up in the current. Much of the church has already been caught up in the current. I'll tell you what I mean. Fear has grappled a large percentage of people in this country. Fear. And I want to ask you a serious question. Is fear supposed to stop us from doing the work of the Lord? Is there any place in 66 books, 27 of the New Testament, that it says that you should, show, that you should shut the doors on, on the church when a, when a virus comes out that hurts people? Because again, folks, I'm at the point where I don't trust anybody. Except for the Lord. And I got news for you. I'm sorry if this comes as a shock to some of you, but you're going to die. only three people that have ever really gotten out of it one of them actually beat it and came back to life the other two people they still got to suffer it Enoch Elijah both of them just Elijah taken up in a chariot of fire Enoch was just walking down the street with the Lord and then no longer was just vanished those two guys still have to die how many people do you think have been on this planet since uh, creation. Pushing 7 billion now, right? Pushing 7 billion? How many people do you think have ever been born on this planet over the last 6,000 years? A lot? Think there's been a lot of people born for the last 6,000 years? We're creatures of habit, folks. As natural fallen human beings, we are not... We are not putting out what Christians really are when we're individuals who allow ourselves under any circumstances to be controlled by fear. There's nothing wrong with caution. God gave us, he gave us sense. We've got the ability to be able to determine you don't step out in the road in front of a Mack truck. You don't walk up and kiss somebody on the mouth who's got a snotty nose. You, you just don't do these things. You can take cautions and there's nothing, it's not faithless to take cautions. But if it stops us from being the church, 
Can you tell me a better scenario for Satan than for him to stop the church from being the church? I was just talking to Diana the other day about how much more difficult, just from these transition, how much more difficult even church life is. I mean, as a pastor. Do you know how many hospital visits I used to make? Can't make them anymore. Somebody misses from church, can I just walk up and knock on their door? Can I, can I do that? Can I just walk up and knock on the door ask them how they're doing? Because the messages, the phone calls, text messages, stuff, I'm doing that stuff. I would love to have some face-to-face contact, but nowadays, can you do that? Can you just walk through a neighborhood and knock on doors and hand people flyers? It's going to change the way we have to do things, right? The problem is that when we face a struggle like this, it changes the way we do things already. I've spent months fighting depression because people just aren't all coming back to church. And I said something to my wife, we'll never get rid of the building. Don't pull out of context what I'm saying. We'll never stop having church in church. We've started a whole bunch of electronic stuff. We're going to have to change the way we do church. We're going to have to change the way we do evangelism. We're going to have to change the way we do visits. We're going to have to change the way we do outreach, period. What's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be individuals who pay close attention to only what Jesus has to say. And not just paying attention to it, but it becomes the model by which we walk. This is going to be affirmed in a little bit if I get to it. I don't care if there's a new COVID strain. I don't care if there's another virus that comes out that kills 100% of the people that have it. Should we be motivated by what we're afraid is going to happen to us? Or should we be motivated by the people that are dying potentially without Jesus Christ in their heart? Got news for you, folks. Your encouragement for the day Given you this encouragement before. This one's free. I won't charge you twice. How many of the apostles were martyred? Eleven. The twelfth one probably would have preferred to be martyred because they tried to martyr him by boiling him in oil. John, the man who wrote this letter. What happened to the prophets in the Old Testament? Did they all live happy lives out of no fear, no danger? They were murdered by their own countrymen. Christianity can be fun. But we got to get past this. Christianity makes me feel good. Because if we run on emotion, especially in this day and time, you can wake up pretty happy. How long does it take for you to get sad? It can happen pretty quick, can it? Sometimes before your feet even hit the floor, your day can be blown. It is important, folks, as this world continues to get worse, as misinformation continues to be pushed out, as people with motives 
that are contrary to everyone else's are continuing to be played out by people's actions, the things that they're saying, it is more important now than ever that the church realize that it represents Jesus Christ. That he gave us a model by which we live. That model is not only good for the other people that are out there, but that model is also good for us as individuals. The church has been being redefined for quite some time now. By redefined, I mean, I've mentioned too many times before, the churches that chase the money, the churches that chase the prestige, the churches that chase uh, the big buildings, the beautiful buildings, the churches that chase, we should be chasing lost people, folks. We shouldn't be chasing our own selfishness, chasing our own satisfactions. We shouldn't be chasing anything but the lost. That's who Jesus set before us. That's the direct command that we have. And we can accomplish so much good in this world, but if this church accomplishes all of the good in the world but doesn't, but doesn't promote salvation in Christ, then what good is it? Verse 4 says, The one who says, I have come to know him, it does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. It's not talking about whether he was pigeon-toed, did he walk like this, I need to walk like this, how long was his stride, how did he swing his arms when he walked. Walking in the same manner as him doesn't mean walking in his footsteps. It means walking with his desires, his purpose, and his plan being the motivator for where we go and what we do. Because walking here isn't talking about this. Walking means as you go forward in life, whether it's one second or it's another hundred years, we should be people who are mimicking Jesus Christ. We should be people who are trying to do everything that we can to be Jesus. Now, some of the stuff is hard enough if it's stuff that's really good, but was Jesus somebody who was always saying fun stuff? No. Walk in a manner in the same manner as he walked means that when somebody lies and we hear it, we point it out. It means that when somebody pulls attention away from the gospel, if that's the conversation you're having, you reassert it. That means saying things that may make a co-worker un unhappy with you. That means saying things that may make even a spouse or a child unhappy with you. That means loving people the way Jesus loved people. He loved them enough to love them through his actions, but he loved them enough to also tell them when they were doing things they shouldn't be doing. Do you guys understand the danger behind saying that God is responsible for every second of your life? Do you understand the danger in that? If God's creating a person, putting a, a spirit in them, sending them to earth, and then sending that spirit or that soul 
to be condemned to a sinner's hell for an eternity. Did you hear me? God creates a person. If God created that person for the sole purpose of going to hell, is that just? Is it just? We're talking about ripping huge chunks out of God's attributes, folks, by saying that he's the type of person who just wrote everything in your life into your destiny, and you can't help what it is that you experience because God made it happen. That's extremely dangerous, folks. Not to mention it takes 100% of responsibility away from people. Kind of reminds me of that first time that I was at camp as the assistant director. First time I ever went assistant director. I've told this story before too, so bear with me. As assistant director, I never carry my Bible down to worship. As a director, I don't carry it down there either because you just get phone calls and you end up running everywhere while worship's going on. So it came time to do uh, the invitation, and I'm standing there, and they didn't have a whole lot of adults that were willing to go down and counsel. I was a young guy. I was maybe, I say young guy, maybe 28, 27. And uh, the director walked over to me, put his arm around me. He said, hey, you willing to counsel any kids that may come forward? First thing out of my mouth, I don't have my Bible. And this guy looked at me, and I'm telling you, this guy didn't cut me. God cut me to the core. Because this guy looked at me and he said, you mean you need your Bible to share the gospel with someone? I just swallowed this huge lump. Of course I didn't need the Bible to, to lead someone to Christ. But didn't do it long enough. I know the Bible verses. I know the concept. Why couldn't I just sit down and do that? So I want you to hear me because we need Jesus in everything, all right? But do I need Jesus to tell me 50 times that something's wrong? First thing for me, and I'll, I'll try to wind this down a little bit. First thing for me was foul language. When I trusted in Jesus, first conviction I ever felt was the foul language. Me and my brothers, we cuss like sailors. Uh, we could make a sailor blush if you walked up to the front door mom and dad were in Arkansas. Just cuss, cuss, cuss. Every other word. We used to have competitions. Who could put the most cuss words in a sentence? It's ridiculous. After I got saved, Jesus said, hey, you got to stop saying those things. It took me a while, just like anybody. Eventually, I stopped saying those things. Still thought them. Jesus goes, hey, I realize you don't do near as much damage when you don't say it, but it still does damage to your heart when you think it. So it took me a while. And I got to where finally I didn't even think about a cuss word. Mashed my thumb. We were building my house, and I was putting a window in the basement wall, a concrete wall. It's kind of awkward because you got no way to really stand. you got to stand weird. I'm standing weird, and I had my thumb against the, I was holding the nail between these two fingers. 
And I mean, it made the ping sound and it hit my thumbnail. Ping. Crossword never crossed my mind. So here's a point that I'm making. Do I need Jesus to teach me not to cuss again? Or should it have stuck when he taught me the first time? Because I remind you, what is repentance? Repentance is to turn away from, right? So, this wall's sin. If I come to it and I turn away from it, should I ever run into that wall again? I shouldn't. I run into a different wall, right? But I shouldn't run into this wall again if I really turned away from it. Problem is, this is what we typically do as Christians. We hit the wall, turn away from it, take a few steps, turn around, hit the wall, turn around, take a few steps, turn around, hit the wall. Which one of those is true repentance? It's not true repentance if you hit the wall, turn around, and then turn back around and hit the wall again. When God accomplishes these things in our lives, they're supposed to stick. We're supposed to be people who are moving on from the elementary things of Christ into the more mature things of Christ. But just like Paul was teaching the church in Corinth, he says, I can't give you meat to eat because you're not ready for it. Christianity, folks. Why is it called Christianity? Why are we called Christians? Christians weren't called Christians first. They were actually called people belonging to the way. But they were eventually called Christians. And the word Christian literally means little Christ or Christ-like. And if we call ourselves Christians, we should be people who desire to do nothing more than to walk in the same manner as he walked. Because the time's going to come, folks, where something else is going to matter. You're on your deathbed. You're going to worry about your house? Cars? Bills? You're going to worry about your bills on your deathbed? I can tell you who you're going to worry about. Worry about your wife, your husband, your kids, grandkids, your friends, especially the ones that are lost, because you just hope that there's somebody who's obedient enough around them that's going to share the gospel with them. And when the day comes that we all take our last breath, and I think that I've left a pretty, a pretty good argument um, for the fact that we're all going to do it. And when we stand before him, he's going to have one question. What did you do with my son? And it's not because God just wants us to do stuff with his son. It's because he loves the lost person out there just as much as he loves you. It's because he wants them to have the life that you have access to. It's because he wants them to know what peace is. It's because he wants them to know that there's nothing on this planet that can harm us. Do you hear me? What do you have to fear if there is nothing on the planet, if there is nothing in the universe, what do you have to fear if there is nothing in the universe that can harm you? 
I'm going to close. But if you read that chapter down a little bit further, it starts talking about warning against becoming a friend of the world. Because people who are friends with the world are enemies of God. And there are way too many Christians today, folks, that are walking with one foot on both sides of the fence. We should be preaching Jesus till the day we die. Even if preaching Jesus kills us. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Um, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll know what I mean if it happens. Come up here. Um, if you're not comfortable coming up here, you can sit to the side or even call me. Don't leave this place. If you're giving your life to Jesus, don't leave this place without talking to me, please. Um, can't, can't save you, but I want to make sure you most clearly understand uh, the one who certainly can. Believer, I, the last thing in the world that I want to do is create pressure for, for everyone. I don't want to create pressure, but I also realize that diamonds are created from pressure. So, I, I, same as always, don't be obedient to me. Be obedient to the Lord. Allow yourself to be someone who is useful and has purpose that you're actually providing to the world around you. Something that's going to last beyond your death. Something that's going to go beyond the rest of the time this planet's even here. Do you ever think about the fact that everything that you do will never pass away if it's been done for Jesus? Always be there. It's effect. It's continued trickle effect. So I don't say it to be cliche. I say it to be completely the opposite. When you leave this place today, be more determined than ever to be what a Christian's really called to be. Thanks for listening. For more information about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We look forward to hearing from you. As always, have a blessed week. The Highland Southern Baptist Podcast is produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.